Uh, well, hey, we are uh, so glad that you guys are here and so grateful for the families who are here today with your kids. Um, this is a great big, this is a big day and a meaningful day. And like Jim said, we're doing a little different because the whole COVID stuff. Um, and usually we have a bunch of pastors and elders surrounding you folks on stage and uh, man, just hugging and praying for you guys. And even though we're not able to do that, know that that's our hearts for you. Um, and we are praying for you and we're so grateful to you uh, young parents, some of whom are putting their kids in the nursery as we speak, so they're not here. Uh, but, but we're so grateful that uh, these families and all of your families have decided to be part of our church family. And it's an honor, it's a privilege. And if you've been around church for a while, you know that um, <clears throat> churches do baptisms, right? Churches do baby dedications. And I think if you've been in church for a while, it's really easy to kind of just know that that's part of the cycle. But, but here's what I don't want us to miss this morning, that what we've gotten to celebrate today and what you parents are doing and families are doing, I mean, this is meaningful. This is a meaningful exciting thing where we're carving out time and just saying, you know what, man, life is crazy and we live in a world that's sometimes crazy and we're part of our community of faith. And together in that community, we want to raise our kids and we want people around us to encourage us and support us. And so that's what we're here for. This is a spiritual milestone and it's a milestone that I don't think we should just zip past. And then maybe in the years and the months to come when life gets hard, it's an opportunity for the folks who are baptized today and even for you parents to look back on today and say, you know what, uh, this is what I believe and, and this is how I want to raise my kid and want to do. So God does have your back and we have your back and we're just grateful for that privilege. So thanks. And thanks to the other family members who came uh, to be with them. I hope that you're getting lots of good food after this. And I'll make sure you get there reasonably quickly, okay? In the first service, Brandon made some comment about what we're going to do. And in the ending comment, he said, and we're going to hear a short sermon out of Ephesians. I think the short adjective was for me. So we'll, we'll try and keep it that, okay? Um, but we're excited about today, and we're grateful for you and grateful for being part of this story and your journey. So let me pray. And then we'll press into what God has. God, I do thank you for this time. And like Jim prayed, Father, we pray that you will give strength to these parents and um, encouragement and wisdom and people around them when it gets lonely and, and challenging as a parent who can encourage them and spur them on. And we're grateful that you're always there with them. So as we think today about words that you have for children and for parents, will you just help us? <clears throat> and maybe there's a truth or two that you want us to take away this morning. And so we pray that through the spirit, that's what will happen for your glory as we always do. So thank you, Father. And please work in our time now. Amen. Um, man, as we, we celebrate with you, right? We celebrate the, the kids who got uh, baptized. We're celebrating the kids who are being dedicated this morning. And as we do, and amidst all that joy, there's also kind of this acknowledgement that we might as well own because it's true that being a parent can sometimes be tough. And I'm not saying that to like be a buzzkill on a Sunday morning baby dedication. I'm just saying that's because it's tough. And sometimes there's moments that come when it can be hard. And maybe the, that resonates not so much with the parents whose children were dedicated today, but maybe some folks online or maybe some of you in the room today who are parents, you're like, man, I, I know that. And it's not just that being a parent can be tough. Being a child can sometimes be challenging with your parents and the interactions. And, I, and as I've listened to people over the past couple months and I've listened to parents and I've listened to kids, I think one thing that is true about what's going on is that there's this kind of uh, uh, COVID, like, like it's sometimes hitting right now in families. Like the blur of the past nine months is just seems to be hitting and there's some parents 
who maybe are listening or maybe here who the challenges of parenting are just kind of at a high point in your story. Maybe there's some kids who are here or listening and your relationship with your parents is kind of at a challenging point with some conflict and, and it's, it's tough. And the question is this morning, as we come together, does the Bible have any wisdom or any instruction on those things? One of these days I'm going to stand up here and say, nope, doesn't have anything to say. No, I'm not because the Bible always has something to say about where we are, right? Does the Bible speak to parents and to children and give truths about how we're to navigate those things? It does. And what we do here at Calvary, if you're visiting or you're new or you're checking out, we open up a book of the Bible and we go through that paragraph through paragraph, often verse by verse, and we see what truth it is. We've been doing that in a letter that a pastor wrote a long time ago to a church in the city of Ephesus. And they were processing different things and trying to figure out how to live in their culture. And for months, we've been reading this letter that this pastor wrote to that church and trying to see what truths it has for us. For the past few weeks, we've been in this kind of subsection where he's drilling into, hey, Christians who are part of a church who are also part of a family some instructions for us. And so last week we talked about husbands and uh, man, beat up the husbands a little bit, but that's okay. Next week we talk about wives. I know I won't beat up the wives. I I tread a little care. We will still tell God's truth, but you know, I'm a husband, so I can kind of, I know, boom. Next week is wives. What does God say to wives about a wife's role and an opportunity in a family situation? Today, we're going to look at some of the instructions that God gives to parents and that God gives to children. And we're going to be in that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And and here's what we are going to see uh, a little quicker than normal this morning to honor your time. We're going to see two instructions for children, and then we're going to see one thing that parents should not do, and then one thing that parents should do. Two things that God says, instructions for children, one thing that parents should not do, and then one thing that parents should do. Most of our time is going to be spent talking to parents because we have some parents here today who are excited about the opportunity to raise their kids according to biblical principles. So we're going to focus in on parents, but let's not skip over what God says to children. And so this morning, if you're a child, whether you're in second grade or seventh grade or 12th grade, ready to spread your wings and get out of your parents' house, what are the instructions that God says to you? Well, here's what he says in the first couple of verses of chapter six of Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Two challenges for kids. The first one is obey. Obey. Do what your mom and your dad tell you to do. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't fight against it. If your parents have told you to do something, what God says is then to do it. And the second thing that he says to do is to honor your father and your mother. This idea of respect them, hold them in high regard. Don't text your friends and say, I can't believe how stupid my mom is. She's making me do this. What God says to kids, and if you're a kid, what your opportunity is, what your challenge is, is obey your parents. Even if you don't think what they're telling you to do makes sense, even when you think they don't know what they're talking about, even when you think they're asking you to do things or giving you rules that none of your other friends have, God doesn't give any conditions on when, right? He says, obey. There's one kind of condition we'll talk about in a minute, but obey and respect and honor them. 
And then there's some more details about this that Paul unpacks, and he says this, children, obey your parents in the Lord. What he's saying here to kids is, kids, you obey your parents because God tells you to. And part of the way that you obey God and part of the way that you love God and is, is by obeying your parents and doing what they tell you to do. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you don't understand it all. So even if you sit around and you think, man, my parents aren't the greatest parent in the world. They've blown it. They've made mistakes. What God says is, I got it, but still obey. Now there's one disclaimer to this that doesn't often occur, but sometimes does occur. If, if you're a kid, if you're a child, what the text tells us is that your ultimate responsibility, your ultimate obedience comes to God. And so if there are moments when what your parent would tell you to do goes against what God tells you to do, well, in that moment, your ultimate allegiance and your ultimate obedience is to God. In the prior church that I served in, we had a ton of young adults. We had a ton of college students and there'd be moments when those kids would start to understand Jesus and who he was and their parents would have a different worldview and perspective and that child would say to their parents, hey, I feel like this is a conviction. This is what type of behavior I should have. This is what I should do and shouldn't do as they were 18, as they were 19, they're 20. And their parents would say to them, man, that's crazy. Like, like don't try to do that. Why you don't stop doing that. You should actually start doing that. And some of those instructions from the parents were different than what God told them to do. In those moments, what a child should do is cling to the truth that God tells them to do. But here's the deal, kids, right? That doesn't often happen. So if your parent tells you to go to bed at nine o'clock, that is not, they're not telling you to sin. Right? If your parent says to you, hey, Bubba, don't bring the daggum cell phone to the table during dinner time, that is not telling you to break one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, so, so let's just kind of keep this all in context. But children, obey your parents. Honor your parents. Because that's what God asks you to do. So then the question is, well, what does God expect of parents? For the parents who are here with their awesome new babies, the parents who are here and you look around and the child that was a new baby, it seemed like only yesterday is now 16 or 17. What does God expect of us as parents? And here's a few broad ideas on that. And some of us who've been parents a little longer know this, but I just say this to encourage the newer parents. There's no guarantees in parenting. There, there are no guarantees. And what we're going to talk about today are some biblical principles that will put your kids in the best place to succeed. But, but there's not a magic wand. And sometimes as parents, we, we do exactly what the Bible tells us to do, but we can't change our kids' hearts. And sometimes as life goes on and kids get older, we look at what our children are doing and we think, I, I wish I hadn't done that. And we think to ourselves, well, I've done everything this book told me to do. How come that is happening? It's happening because this puts our kids in the best chance to succeed. And we do these things because God tells us to do these things. But there's no guarantees. And, and a caution to others in the room. Because I think sometimes what parents can do is they look at their kids and, and their kids are compliant. Their kids are obedient. And sometimes parents can tend to judge other parents. And they look around and they say to themselves, well, my 16-year-old's doing what I told them to do. But that family over there, they got chaos. 
And it's really easy sometimes for those who things are okay to start judging other families in the room and thinking, well, maybe if they had done what the Bible told them to do a little better, this wouldn't happen. That's not our place. Because tremendously godly parents can do everything the absolute right way and still have moments in time when their children do things that they ought not to do that grieve a parent's heart. And with a parent, that's just the truth. And for other parents, it's not our place to judge others or criticize others or to think we know what happened in the family and in that moment. And another thought on this is this, there's no guarantees and we need to be careful not confusing biblical principles with parenting models. Here's what I mean for that. The Bible tells us some things to do. We're going to talk about some in just a minute. There's Proverbs about it. Jimmy T read some of it. There's biblical principles about what to do that are absolutely true. And as a parent, we should do those things. In addition to those, there's another category of stuff that are parenting models. And I'm a little older than some of the parents who stood up here today. And maybe some of you remember there, a couple of decades ago, there was something, a model, right? Just not the Bible, but a parenting model about thoughts about what you should do as a parent. And there were books written. One of them I remember was like uh, Raising Kids God's Way. I always thought that was a ridiculous title. It's like, what do I want to do? Raise my kids Satan's way? Like that, that's a nonsensical. There was this book called Raising Kids God Way. There was something called Baby Wise. If you're a little older than me, there's this dude named Dr. Spock, not from Star Trek, right? And there's all these principles, but here's the deal. We need to be very, very careful when we cling to a biblical, to a, a model of parenting saying that's the only way to parent. Some Models are going to tell you to let your kids scream all night long, day after day, week after week, month after month. And even that's until Jesus comes back, you just let that baby scream. Other models will tell you the minute your baby goes, eh, you like hug them and snuggle them and give them food and don't. Two different models. And we just need to be, biblical principles are always 100% correct. But parenting models We need to be careful just saying that one way is the only way because it's probably not. There are children who scream themselves to sleep at night until Jesus came back, who are now amazingly uh, productive members of our community in their 30s and 40s. There are children who never screamed a single moment because mom and dad fed them a bottle instantly or that mushy little meal stuff, slept in the same bed, who are in their 30s and 40s, who are wonderfully productive models of our society. And I just want to say this to parents. I think for us parents, we so desperately want to do it the right way. And we so desperately want to guarantee success that it's really easy for us sometimes to grab onto a model and say, this is the only way, and if I do it this way, everything's going to be great. Just be careful. Do it this way, and take wisdom from these, but don't confuse the two. So what does the Bible say to parents? What instructions do we have that we can walk away from this this morning? Here's what it is. Paul tells the parents one thing they're not to do, and then tells us one amazing opportunity we have something to do. One thing not to do, And then one thing that we can do. So what are parents not to do? All right, parents, here it goes. Ready? In verse four, and it's really interesting. Here's what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Fathers, 
Do not provoke your children to anger. That word provoke, it describes this, this ongoing pattern of interacting with your kid and treating them a certain way and coming at them a certain way where over the days and over the months and over the years, right? It builds up some bitterness or anger. It's this negative, wrong, inappropriate, right? Wrong way to interact with your kid and engage with your kid and discipline your kid and treat your kid that over time builds up angerness. It has a nuance of exasperating your child where for a period of years, you as a parent have this negative pattern of behavior, this wrong way of approaching your kid. And over time that builds up till one day your kid just wakes up and says, you know what? I'm done. I'm just done. Now we got to be very careful. Let's make sure we know what we're talking about. We are not talking about a parent who is imposing proper discipline and proper parenting and proper guidelines. And the kid just doesn't like it and gets angry. Right? As parents, we have to impose consequences. We have to impose rules. We have to impose discipline. We're not talking about when a parent properly does it and a kid just gets angry because they're an angry teenager. We're talking about when the parent themselves has a pattern of negative behavior and parenting that over the months and years builds up to exasperate their kid, to wear their kid out, to make the kid say, I'm so angry and so bitter, I'm out of here. Now, it's interesting what the category being talked to. Verse four starts with this fathers do not provoke your children to anger. That Greek word fathers, right? The word is typically used to describe male parents. You did not need to go to seminary to know that fathers means fathers, but sometimes that word is used kind of as a broader category. Sometimes biblical writers will use the word fathers to really refer to both the mom and dad, both the parents. In this case, it seems that because Paul has told the kids, hey, obey both your parents, right? Honor both your parents, father and mother, that Paul is continuing to talk to both parents. It seems in this case that he's saying fathers, but he's still continuing the thoughts for moms and dads, do not provoke your children to anger. But maybe and probably the reason he does this atypical thing of launching that with the bucket category of fathers is because he knows the dads even though the moms are also not to provoke their children to anger, maybe he knows that this is just something that's more common for dads to cause to happen. In the wiring of a dad and the way a dad acts, maybe sometimes we fall more prey to negatively acting towards a kid in a pattern in a way that provokes them and exasperates them to anger. So this morning, just a few thoughts on what are ways that we as parents might wrongfully do this? And for those folks today who are dedicating your kid, man, it's a great way for you to think, okay, I don't want to do some of these things that we're going to talk about. I want to guard against parenting the way we're going to talk about. And for others of us who are parents, it's a great opportunity just real quickly to assess, are we doing some of these things that are creating this negative rut in our parenting that is creating harm and dysfunction? What are some ways that parents could potentially provoke their kids? Here's the first way. None of this is the Bible. This is just Peter, okay? But this first way, by pushing your kid to achieve reasonable bounds. Now, I'm a former litigator, so every word is important, okay? So pushing your kid to achieve beyond reasonable bounds. 
Now, do we as parents want our kids to hit their potential? Absolutely. Do we as kids want them to maximize the way God's wired them and gifted them and see them try their hardest? Yes. But here's what parents sometimes do. Parents, sometimes your kid is trying their hardest, but it's still not good enough for you. And you're still pushing them to achieve more and get more beyond the way they've been wired to do and you're wearing them out because they're trying their hardest. Not every kid is wired the same way to excel in the same areas. And that's okay. Cause that's the beauty of how God's made everybody different. If you want to know how this plays itself out, it's pretty simple, right? Academics. Do you want your kid to work hard and try their hardest to do the best they can in school? Yes. Is it appropriate for you as a parent to like, you know, try to get your kid to work hard, to try their hardest in school. Yes. Maybe your kid really is trying their hardest. Maybe it's not good enough. If, you, if, 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 if academics isn't the place that this plays itself out, here's, if you want to see an op- example of parents pushing their kids to achieve beyond reasonable downs, bounds, then here's what you should do. Go to a little league game. Go to a four-year-old soccer game. And here's what you're going to see. You're going to see some parent screaming. You're going to see some parent screaming at their four-year-old because the four-year-old missed the goal. You're going to see some parent screaming at their four-year-old who looks like they've never played a sport a day in their life. And yet they're screaming at their kid. It happens. You laughed because you've seen it. I hope you didn't laugh because you've done it. Don't push your kids to excel beyond reasonable downs and bounds in academics or sports. If they're trying their hardest, encourage them and nurture them. And parents, look, I hate to break it to you, but your days as the world-famous high school quarterback have passed you by. So don't try to relive that in your kid who maybe isn't wired the same way that you were wired. Second way that parents perhaps can have a negative pattern that builds this rut in the ground is by rarely giving praise or affirmation. And all we give our kid is criticism. I need to work on this because um, I, I need to work on this. Everybody needs encouragement. Your child needs encouragement. And it's much easier for us as parents to point out the things they're not doing well than to encourage the things they're doing well. Do we rarely give praise or affirmation? Another way that perhaps we can provoke our kids that parents having your kids dedicated today, I'd challenge you to guard against is by being inconsistent in our consequences. So our kid does one thing one day and it's like, ah, whatever, right? Ah, who cares? And then a week later, They do the exact same thing. And because we're angry, because we're frustrated, the consequence we impose is like disproportionate out of the blue. And the kid is not, the kid is like, I I don't get it. (laughs) Like I waited 10 minutes to take the trash out last time and you didn't yell at me. I waited seven minutes to take the trash out this time and you've taken away everything from me for the next 27 years. Like I don't get it. Now, don't email me. Don't text me, don't call me, don't carrier pigeon me, don't Snapchat me, and don't say, I can't believe, Peter, you're not saying we shouldn't give consequences to our kids. You should give consequences to your kids. 
And those consequences should be proportionate to what they've done, and they should be consistent, and they should be known in advance, and they should be implemented. We as parents, part of how we love our kids is by giving them consequences for behavior that's not right. But be careful giving inconsistent consequences. Another way we potentially provoke our kids is by habitually breaking promises. We live in Fairfield County, Connecticut, where there's a high emphasis on success where there's some of you who, man, you own your own trade and your own business, your own construction company, and you're out there, a new project, a new house, where you're in a first responder role, where you have shift work and you, you wanna do a great job and you can make some extra money, where you're in corporate America, where there's one more meeting and one more deal. Are there moments as parents when we miss things that we wish we could be at? Yeah. There's moments when you will have an unexpected meeting that you can't get out of and you are gonna miss the basketball game. There are moments when your boss is gonna call you in for another shift you didn't expect, and you're gonna to have to leave the pizza parlor early with your kids. The question is, is that the exception, or is that the norm? Do you habitually, consistently, regularly tell your kids, I'll be there, no, this time I'll be there, and you're not. Habitually breaking promises over time there's a way that could perhaps could provoke our kids and make them think, you know, pff, whatever. Overprotecting them. Yikes. That's a sermon in itself to make sure I tread this carefully. Okay, again, make sure you know what I'm saying. Do we need as a parent to put rules and to put, to put guidelines and put the structure in to protect our tender kids' hearts? Yes. Right? We don't want our four-year-old thrown to the wolves. So we need to protect them. But that's not what I'm talking about because you know what some parents do? Some parents smother their kids. Some parents are still treating their 17-year-old kid like they're seven months old. Some parents overly and unnecessarily restrict what they can do. Should we in moments in life restrict what our kids can do? Yes! But, but some of us are overly and unnecessarily doing it. We're never trusting them to do things on their own. And perhaps the reason that some of us may lean towards doing that is because we don't get this right. So you can, here's the last point on this in the next slide is sometimes we confuse when there should be freedom and when there should be lots of control as a parent. Sometimes as a parent, we confuse when there should be freedom and when there should be lots of control. This is a diagram about parenting. It's amazing, isn't it? All by myself, I created that. I'm so proud of myself. Okay, here's the age of your kids, zero to 18. And then here's some things, right, about authority, rules, structures, autonomy, freedom, responsibility. Here's the way that as a parent, we should try to strive in our parenting. When the child is zero, when the child is the age of the kids who are on stage and they're held in your hands and they look up and see themselves on the screen and they point and everybody laughs because when they're young and they're one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-olds, look, we as parents, we need to impose authority and appropriate rules and appropriate structure. You do not want to give your two-year-old an unfettered cell phone to access and do whatever they want on. I hate to break it to some of you. I love you if you've done that, but it's not the wisest. We want to have authority, rules, structures when they're young. But then you know what happens, like the diagram shows, as they get older? Our job as parents is to release our children 
when they get old to not, when they get 18 or get to be the age of a 18 seems to work. Your child is a gift that you are to steward that God has entrusted to us as parents to raise with the purpose of releasing. And the goal of parenting is when they're younger, we have it tighter. We have, we have the, the, the rules, we have the authority, we have the thing. But then as the children age, we open up some of that and slowly and appropriately move towards autonomy, freedom, and responsibility when they're 18, right? And you're about to send them off, whether that's to a trade school or college or a job or a career. Man, hey, at that point, you're sending them off. And you should be giving some autonomy. What parents sometimes do is this, that when their child is six, they give them all sorts of autonomy, all sorts of freedom, all sorts of, of responsibility. When the child is six, they don't have any rules. They don't have any structure. And then one day the parents wake up and the kid's 16. And, and it's like, what has happened? Because I've lost all control. And then the kid is 16, and then you know what sometimes the parents do? They then just clamp down. (laughs) Now, if our kids aren't doing things right, is it appropriate to clamp down? Yes, but some of us get this inverted. We give our seven-year-old all sorts of freedom and no rules and no structure. And then we try to give our 18-year-old, we just... The goal is rule, structure, authority, and then open your arms up to give them a little more rope. You got to trust them at some point. And it is scary. That's why we don't do it. Because when you trust them at some point, they may make choices that you don't want them to make. There are going to be harmful consequences. And none of us want that. But you got to trust them at some point. And some of us get this inverted and flipped, and we confuse when there should be freedom versus when there should be control. Am I saying to let your 17-year-old do whatever they want? You know I'm not saying that. What I am saying is don't let your 7-year-old do whatever they want. Make sure you heard me. I've done this enough to know somebody's going to walk out of here. I can't believe he says I shouldn't let my 18-year-old have a... What I'm saying, I'm not saying to let your 17-year-old do whatever they want. What I am saying is don't let your seven-year-old do whatever they want. If we shouldn't do that, what should we do? And I'll end with this. Parents, here's your amazing opportunity. Here's the great thing that we get to do. Verse 4 tells us this. But instead of provoking, instead of a pattern of negative behavior, do this. Here's the opportunity. Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Parents, and I, I mean this. Each of your prayers for your kids... Man, those were meaningful. Those were hearty. It represents a heart for God and a heart for your kids, and we want to support you in that. Parents, that's your opportunity, and the good thing is you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. You can do it, and you are doing it in the context of this church community where there's people who are in the same stage of life as you are who can help you. And there are people in a little bit further stage of life who have walked that road who you can go to for wisdom and advice and help and a pastoral team who cares about each one of your families and all the families who didn't dedicate their kids today who are here and our heart is to partner with each of you as you're trying to raise your kid. Whether your kid is seven years old or 17 years old or 27 years old, we want to partner with you. 
And so, man, we just want you to know we're so grateful you're choosing to raise your kids in the context of this community. There's people around you, your same stage of life who can help you, people older who you can go to for wisdom, and pastors who, man, we want to have your back and walk alongside of you and partner with you. So God is doing great things. And this has been an encouraging Sunday for us as a church because although even though a lot has stopped through COVID, God's work in the lives of his people have not stopped. And so we've been grateful that we're able to celebrate that this morning. So thanks for being part of this. I'm going to let you go and get home to your Gaetano's catered lunch or whatever you have going on. I'm going home to make an awesome bacon egg cheese sandwich for my family. It's going to be spectacular. Before I do that, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the families and the children representing this room. Um, And I just pray. That as parents and those of us who are entrusted with kids, we know that we can depend on you and we know that you will lead us and guide us and that we will anchor ourselves in you as we try to steward the children and the family that you've given to us. So I pray a blessing over these families. I pray a blessing over the people who were baptized today. Thanks that you're alive and working and we're grateful. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If this was your first Sunday at Calvary, we're back here next week. It's amazing. Sunday after Sunday, we're just here. Uh, and if you come to Calvary regularly, we'd love to see you next time as we talk about what opportunities there are for wives. Thanks for being here today, and we'll see a bunch of you next week.